Welcome everybody to another episode of Driven Minds. This is your host Franz Bowen. This is your co-host Travis Weeks. We have a very, very special guest with us this evening. Uh, yes, sir. Hands down, one of the dopest uh, LinkedIn pages I've ever visited in a, in, a, in a long time. You know, second to probably only James Bond. Um, political, uh, is it fair to say political strategist and uh, PR guru? I don't know about Guru, but I'll take the other parts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Um, Carrie Twig, everybody. So welcome, Carrie. Thank you for uh, visiting with us today. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Okay, yeah. So, <laughs> you can get some claps today. You know what I'm yeah. Um, you're definitely somebody I'm excited about you know, speaking to today. Because you definitely have a very large... Um, I guess, like, vocational history, politics, um, media. So just want to jump right into it. Um, so while I was stalking you on LinkedIn, <laughs> uh, I, I saw that you, uh, you have a very, um, a very interesting background in politics. I started from, you're from Ohio, correct? Yep. Halo from Ohio. That's okay. right. That's no, right. congratulations. No, hard fought uh, champion. <laughs> thank sure. you. Thank you. Know, thank you. First chip, you know, that's right. about, like 50 years or something like that. Give us a little bit of time. We win. <laughs> might need to warm up to us. No, just a couple generations might have to pass. But that's cool. Yeah. Um, but tell, tell us more. We're focusing on sending kids in Akron to college. So we win all those. We can't do everything. That's true. That's true. Um, so, so tell us a little bit about uh, some of your, uh, I guess, your, your beginning efforts. I saw that you worked with um, Governor Ted Strickland. Yeah, that's my guy. So, yeah, so I started in politics when I was really young. I, um, you know, I was one of those kind of lucky or, or cursed, depending on how you look at it, kids who knew what I wanted to do from the time I was about 12 years old. Mm, um, nice. When I was around eight, I asked my mom what politics was or what government was, one or the other. Wow. And she told me that it is that government is essentially a group of white old white men sitting in a room deciding how free you are. How real is that? Wow. My mom's a G. Do it. And I was so horrified by that, right? I was like, well, who? Who? <laughs> I'm, I'll tell you how free I am. I don't remember anybody asking me about being how free I was. Okay. You know, so I was like, who are these dudes? Um, and why do they think that you know they haven't asked me for my opinion? Why do they think they get to make decisions on my behalf? Wow. And so I became really obsessed with government. Good. And I thought I wanted to be a judge until I went to a courtroom and shadowed a judge and realized that um, they had less power to really decide the law, right? Mm -hmm. They had to interpret the law and dole it out as is. True, true. And so from then on, I got really um, obsessed with executive branch offices, mayors, governors, presidents, and um, was constantly focused on kind of how we go about the political process and, and how and who makes decisions on behalf of people and, and the ways in which we are aren't represented. And so, yeah, so I've wanted to work at the White House for a really long time. I never thought that I would do it at the age that I did. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> but, tremendous. Like, yeah, but you know, it was a good well, good timing. Did you have any influences in Ohio? Like somebody who's seen who was just like, you know what, I could see myself being like that person in a political arena or was it more just like, 
I feel like this is my mission, this is my purpose. I mean, it was a combination of things. I didn't, at that young of an age, have influences, but as I became really interested in it, I was the local kid who was, you know, nosy and wanted to be in the room and was willing to work really hard and to listen and to learn and to do anything. I would do absolutely anything. And so from the time I was, you know, 17, 18, I was showing up at campaign offices. I was like, wow. you know, I knew the mayor. I was that kid, right? And so, um, yeah, the judge who I shadowed was a woman by the name of Yvette McKee Brown, who later ran for lieutenant governor years after the fact. Mm. There's a woman who's now a congresswoman um, who at the time was the minority leader of the Ohio House of Representatives and uh, Joyce Beatty. Um, and those were two mentors of mine. Um, and my mom's a social worker, and so she sees firsthand kind of every the, the way that government, the decisions that government makes influence people's daily lives, right? In like very intense personal ways. And so I was just sort of surrounded by these women who were kind of up in the system and in powerful roles and who really took me under their wing, encouraged me. And, let me do stuff I had no business doing. I was way too young and inexperienced. But like, when you're the kid who just shows up and you have the tenacity, people give you chances. And so that's that's the only reason why I got to where I was is because I was just the kid who consistently showed up all the time and was given opportunity after opportunity that I probably didn't uh, wasn't quite ready for. But people gave me opportunities to stretch and to grow, and, and many times to fail and try again. Beautiful. That just shows you right there when you want something, like it don't matter what age you are, the doors will open if you're consistent. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Consistency kills. And also, that's that's another thing that's been a theme in, in a lot of the conversations that we've been having. It's just the theme of mentorship. And, yeah. and you know, for, for somebody like you who's always known, like, your purpose or, or what you want to accomplish, there are many others who are still kind of like on that, you know, deciding being, like, which way should I lean? And mentorship often you know, helps you make those decisions, um, or at least gives you, like, for example, you say you want to be a judge, but after shadowing, you're like, all right, maybe... I was like, I'm definitely not. <laughs> <laughs> Get me out of here. <laughs> like, yeah, um, that's cool. So you so you, you worked your way up um, from volunteer level, um, and, and then you became the uh, political director for Tess Strickland's campaign, mm-hmm. is that correct? Mm-hmm. Um, and what, what kind of responsibilities would you have in that role? So a political director, and particular, you know, there's different, it, politics is really interesting right now because it's changing a lot, right? right? Technology in the same way that technology is changing every sector and every industry, it's changing politics in a, in a really interesting, compelling way. Absolutely. Um, and so I've had several political director roles and each, each year they've changed a little bit more and more, but functionally at the end of the day, the the task is to be building as broad a coalition as you can for your candidate or elected to be successful, um, to get elected or to stay well-liked. And, and that goes one of two ways. One is, or that, and, but that goes both ways in the sense of you have to convince people that your, your guy or your woman is the person for them, and then vice versa. You have to keep your candidate and your elected in touch and in the loop with those communities. Right? Right, right, right. If you're a white guy from Appalachian, Ohio, like Ted Strickland is, you it, it's not reasonable to expect him to understand what you know the east side of Cleveland cares about intimately, right. just out of just natural, right? Yeah. Like it's not going to come 
just intuitively to him and the way right, he right, would right, to somebody right. who grew up on the east side yeah. of Cleveland or right. somewhere similar. Yeah, he's not from those parts, so he's not Right, like, and so the political director's job is to make sure that they have an actual real understanding of those communities that maybe differ from their areas of expertise. Uh, and it would be, it doesn't matter whether it's, you know, black versus white or working class versus middle class versus upper, upper class, suburban, exurban. It's just kind of all the various differences kind of helping mesh them and, and help them to be understood and to be represented in policy making. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that sounds like there's just so many, like, so you have to be like all things to all men or women at that point. Yeah. How do you, um, yeah, like how, <laughs> that's difficult because it's like you already have your own, I guess, uh, predisposed notions or what have you, then you kind of have to break those molds and then kind sure. of rebuild like what's that process like in, in, in immersing yourself in all these different communities well i think fundamentally for me the, the reality and it sounds so cliche but I, I found it to be true over and over again which is that like we really are all more alike than we are different <laughs> and so the last job that i had on a campaign, the last campaign I worked on was President Obama's re-election campaign, and oh, I was, uh, <laughs> uh, and I was in charge of all the labor unions. And mm -hmm. so, if you don't know much about labor unions, or as the president's liaison to the labor union community, if you don't know much about labor union community, you're talking about like plumbers and pipe fitters and steel workers right, and yeah, yeah. steam pipe fitters and bricklayers and all these just like white. Dudes, right? <laughs> like that's true. Who and who I was able to have really meaningful professional and personal relationships with, right? Mm -hmm. Like I became really good friends with a lot of these guys, and there's a lot of people who would be dismissive about like a black chick with big hair and a bossy attitude, like having a birthday. Like the steel workers threw me a birthday party that year, and it was five hundred steel workers, mostly white dudes. What? And they hired a man to play a guitar, and like he sang me country songs with an American flag guitar, and we just all took a bunch of tequila shots. Wow. Wow. And like be because I treated like them like people, and didn't wasn't like oh I assume that these guys are because they don't have college. I mean not all of them, but many of them don't have college degrees or whatever. You know. I could have assumed that we are very different and therefore would never be able to kick it or never be able to work together. Right. That was just not an approach that I took with anybody. And you can build from there, right? You right. Can, and, and that's what you sort of have to do is just assume that people are good. So yeah. <laughs> positive work, intent. Right? right? And that if you have positive intent, that they will too and you can work together. And, like, and then be forgiving when there's moments of cultural incompetency, right? right, right. I mean... A labor union president who was one of my favorite. Um, I heard this about this conversation secondhand. He was talking to one of my colleagues in the White House, and my colleague was like, "So, how's everything going with Carrie?" He's like, "Oh, she's the best. She's the best. She tells it to you straight. I'm still getting used to that goddamn hair." But and I laughed my ass off, and it was yeah. just so funny. Um, and this is a, you know, he's like a 70 year old dude from, you know, this, who grew up in bauxite mines. Right. And, um, but we formed a really meaningful relationship. That's real. Cause it's like, fundamentally, we really are the same. Like we want the same things. We right. We want the same things in our lives. We want the same things for our kids and et cetera, et cetera. Right. So. But you rewind, so they threw you a filing still workers, threw you a birthday party. They did. Yeah. The, uh, the Cleveland 
uh, airport hotel. It was, so they were having a political conference, and I went to present and to give an update on the campaign and mm-hmm. what we were working on and what the polling was saying and what we needed them to do to make sure that we won and blah, blah, blah. Right. And somebody found out that it was my birthday, and I didn't tell them. Cause right. I was just like, I mean, I'm working, I'm on a work trip, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then my, like, the person I worked closest, closest with in the union I said, you gotta meet me for a drink, you gotta meet me for a drink. I said, fine, 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 fine. Um, but I was holding my room, like, working, and uh, so I go downstairs into the lobby, and they, all the steel workers who were there for the conference <laughs> were there, and saying me happy birthday, and then a man with the, the American flag guitar came out, and I mean, and we just had, like, a bar party. I mean, it was amazing. It was that's cool. so fun. What, what is, I mean, because that's, that's very interesting. Speaking to the labor community, like, that's, as for, from the outside looking in, that's always been kind of like one of the targets for uh, most uh, executive office politicians. Like, they're yeah. the ones that are broadcasted as, you know, the, the heart of the country. and They keep things moving, keep infrastructure yeah. moving. Um, and that being like learning how to speak and communicate with them, how, how does that translate over to uh, what you're, you're currently doing now? Um, well, I mean, I think... So much of so much of the work that I've done for all of my career, whether I was good at it or bad at it, or you know, developing the talent for it, has been um, about communicating, right? And has been about forming relationships that are meaningful that maybe don't seem intuitive, but ultimately can be or should be. Mm-hmm. And so, when I left the White House in December. Don't leave the White House just yet. Oh, sorry. <laughs> but you asked me to talk about what I'm doing oh, now. My bad. That, all right. So, go answer that in a second because I'm really curious what it's like to work in that environment, first black president, like you know, just all these different. That's an exciting. That's oh, unbelievable. I know it must have been like an experience, even with the people he even appointed as well for the other positions. How was that? I mean, it's unbelievable. There, there will never. I don't think that I will ever have a work environment like that again. I mean, it's there's so many women. There's so many brilliant young kids of color, and we, you are doing some of the most significant work you could be doing in your life outside of like maybe actually saving someone's life. <laughs> you know, um, like in the moment, like resuscitating a child, pulling somebody out, burning cars. Exactly. And, and for me, you know, I'm such a political nerd, I'm such a government nerd, to be surrounded by people who have, and I would say this about any White House, Republican or Democrat, um, or other, that you can't do that job without caring, and you cannot do that job without having some sort of deep-seated moral compass that's guiding you, mm-hmm. and mission, like that it is a mission-driven environment. And so I truly believe that Republicans who work in White House for Republican administrations believe that they're doing the best possible thing for their country. Mm. I disagree with with that, but I I disagree with what they think is right. But at the end, the jobs are so rigorous and they're so demanding. And you you feel, you walk through these gates and just feel this moment in, that you're existing in this moment in history in such a profound way, even if you're like pushing around paper clips and running pieces of paper back and forth, right? Like, some historic paper. You're, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, and 
And so, and then on top of that, you are surrounded by people who have the same kind of guiding ethos and energy and desire to make the world better. Yeah. Who, by all, in all likelihood, have applied themselves rigorously for decades to mm. the work that they are doing, who are experts. Um, and, and you just feel this gratitude for being able to be in that place, a building built by slaves, <laughs> to be in that place. Mm at that time for that president surrounded by those people you know like i will never it is a trying environment but i will never have anything short of just like miraculous gratitude for the experience of being there did you like apply or was it like a recommendation from your so, head of state so i want you to keep in mind everything that i just said um, so i worked on the president's re-election i worked on both the president's campaigns but specifically his re-election campaign um, and when the campaign was over, I was like, politics is for crazy people who have nothing else to do with their lives, and I'm going to leave this business because it is too hard. You, know, you just work till you yeah. like lose, like you have actual crazy eye. Wow. You're like, well, you just, for months Jeez. on end, you're working 16, 18 hour days. I mean, it's just Jeez. unbelievable. Wow. And, um, so I wanted to get out of politics. I came to New York. I worked at the Ford Foundation doing philanthropy, and uh, for someone, for a woman that I really admire and respect, and I got a call for from a colleague of mine who did the labor union outreach for the president from inside the White House. So I did it on the political side, and this guy named Nate did it on the inside the White House. He was leaving, and he wanted to know if I would come and take his job, and I said no. Ugh. Because I was tired, and because I lived in New York and was making more money than I'd ever made in my life, blah, 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 blah. And I just didn't, I just didn't have proper focus, right? And so I said no. He was like, what do you mean no? <laughs> <laughs> like, what are you talking about? And I was like, ah, no, I don't, I don't think I have it. I mean, you know. So I say no again. Then he was like, come, at least come down and have a conversation and interview for it. I was like, fine. So I go and I talk to who would then become my boss, um, Paula Amoskoff and Valerie Jarrett, about taking the job. First good sign was that Valerie Jarrett, in my interview with her, gave me frozen yogurt. So I was like, oh, they have, this, oh. they have this downstairs. <laughs> they have Froyo in the cafeteria. Huge. That's exciting. That's good vibe right there. Right. Little granola. Right. Um, and then, uh, but then I still kind of was on the fence and didn't think that I was going to take the job. And uh, I went to Nate's goodbye party, actually, which was at the White House. And the vice president came and spoke. And I love the vice president. Goodbye, goodbye. Yes. He's, he's one of my favorite human beings in the world. And um, I, Nate, after the vice president gave his remarks, was like, hey, we just meet, we just wait in this side room so we can talk about the job again. I was like, sure, but I'm still probably not going to take it, but I'll wait, you know? Okay. So I go into the side room, minding my own business, looking at my phone, whatever, and Joe Biden walks in. And he walks no. right up to me. I mean, full glory. Like, <laughs> aviators on. Like, exactly. pulls them aside. So I walks right. He's a close talker, right? He walks right up to me. He's like, Carrie, I heard you're going to come and help us out with a little bit of... Wow. Help us out. Oh, your blue eyes. So, yeah. So then I... Yeah, so I got robodopes. But I... You take it for a ride in one of the uh, luxurious Corvettes. Right? I mean, I tried every day. So... <laughs> So yeah, so that, that was how it started, and, and I mean, thank God. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking, I don't know why I didn't want to do it, but I mean, thank God that happened, and, and 
I should remind I should send Nate a good bottle of scotch or something. Um, for my lasting gratitude for having that experience. Indeed, absolutely. I seen an article. Um, I hope I'm not mistaken. I can't remember what magazine, but it was talking about the women who support the president. Mm-hmm. And um, it was just talking about the collective of women in the White House um, around that time. Can you talk more about that and the, 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 the union you guys had, the energy that was in there, and how you guys uh, supported the president and his initiatives? Absolutely. I mean, one of the fascinating things is probably for the first time in my, I mean, I have to imagine even in the Clinton administration, it wasn't as, as good as this, but for the, one of the first times um, in White House history, it was absolutely commonplace to have what's called a decision meeting. So not like us just laying out options to give to the bosses to talk about, but like actually make very <laughs> large and significant policy decisions, have everybody in the room be women. Um, there were so many <laughs> women in that environment who were in positions of true power and authority. Nice. Um, and an interesting article came out earlier today, by it was done by Vox, about how so many of the sexist things that happen in workplaces that go, that aren't kind of the aggressive, um, explicit sexism, I'm not talking about like people getting their ass pat, I'm talking about just, you know, when you're in meetings, Women get spoken over quite often. Uh, women will say one thing, a guy will say the exact same thing, and everyone in the room will be like, oh, genius. Someone give him a raise. Um, and that, that stuff happens all the time. And so, women in the White House, there was a very intentional campaign for women to repeat one another so that other men couldn't take, even in somewhere as progressive and as, you know, the president loves his wife, talks about the, the importance of him, his feminism as well as his daughter's. Mm. Um, and yet those things are so deeply embedded in us that you have to be intentional about kind of dismantling them. And so mm. in high-level meetings, you know, women would repeat each other's ideas, make sure that they acknowledged credit. Nice. So like, oh, that's a great idea, so-and-so. That's a great idea, Carrie. Did everyone hear what she just said? Wow. And like, make sure that we advocated on behalf. That's dope. Yeah. That's dope. smart. But yeah, the, I mean, the positions that women are in, they are very, they're, they're powerful and they're real. There's real agency. I feel like President Obama, I feel like he definitely made a conscious decision to do to, to that because um, there probably was a lack of it, I'm pretty sure, before. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So now, just seeing that, when I saw that article, I just thought that was, that was beautiful. I do believe women need more positions of power. And, um, they have the same, you know, the same fortitude to, to, to answer these big decisions and to come up with scenarios and come up with, you know, solutions for these problems. So I, I, was, I was definitely very pleased to see that. Absolutely. And in more cases than not, have unique perspectives that give us Absolutely. S- that, significant that personal it. insight. Absolutely. Yeah. I, couldn't, I couldn't do what I do without women, honestly. You know, we need them. So. Definitely. Hashtag invest in women. Absolutely. Right. Super important. Um, real quick before we jump off the uh, politics. So I was listening to a brief interview that you did, I think, with News One. And you were saying that politics is becoming pop culture. And the only other parallel that had been seen um, from our current administration was Kennedy's um, in, in terms of that. Can you, can you talk about uh, a little, touch on that a little bit as far as, um, I guess, what, what we are currently experiencing um, and I guess the the pros and cons of that phenomenon? Sure. I mean, I think that 
we are seeing young people be engaged in a way that we haven't seen since the Kennedy kind of elections, both sure. Robert and um, Robert Kennedy and JFK, when you had young people just leading that wave of kind of culture shift. Mm -hmm. um, and you had a lot of young people so excited about the president. Obviously, more people, more young people voted for the president than any previous um, presidential candidate. But when I say that politics is becoming pop culture, you think about, I'm talking about both politics in a partisan sense, both politics in terms of Democrat versus Republican, but also politics in terms of the issue sense. Mm -hmm. When you have what's happening right now with Colin Kaepernick, like that is a political statement. He is making a political statement. And it is also a pop culture statement because our athletes are our celebrities, right? Mm -hmm. When you have Beyonce dressed up like a, as a Black Panther at the Super Bowl, that is a political statement, even if it has nothing to do with Democrats or Republicans. Sure, um, and so we have these people who are who make our pop culture also being very politicized, and not just uh, those are two black examples, but you know Leonardo DiCaprio winning his Oscar this year, and he talks about climate change and dangers faced by indigenous people around the world. Um, and so you have this politicization of pop culture that is happening, as well as unprecedented engagement in politics for young people. And we'll see how that bears out in um, the fall and the general election. But more, I mean, Bernie Sanders had so many, Absolutely. so much oh, support man. with young people. Oh, yeah. you know? He definitely, definitely had to choose. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so it's becoming more culture. It's becoming more youthful in a way that we just haven't seen um, for a long time. And, and I think that there's nothing but pros to it. You know, the millennial generation, which 18 to 35 year olds, are the um, largest generation of Americans in history. It's also the most diverse generation of Americans in history. And it's the largest generation of humans globally, ever. Um, and the reality is, if all, all of those people voted, we would live in a radically different world. And true. the purchasing power, the political power, the cultural power, the economic power, um, the social power that our generation has, is phenomenal and it's just whether or not we access it and we tap into it um, but we would live in a fundamentally different world for sure if we were all tapped in yeah we were all tapped in that's, that's so true I agree do you, do you feel that just to piggyback and I'm gonna get off it but um, do you feel that I mean since it's pop culture like a lot of times things are popular people are just paying attention to it just cause um, do, you, do you feel that there's a lot kind of lost in the political sauce with this generation or do you think people are actually like really paying attention and they really care like tuning in to, to what's going on to make that change I mean I think it's tough to say it's just tough to say we're talking about a lot of people I think yeah. it's both um, and one of my kind of theory and I don't have any science to back this up but is you know when you're talking about apathy it's like what came first the chicken or the, the chicken or the egg right it's like are people apathetic because they don't care, or are people apathetic? Or does apathy come out of not knowing what to do? Um, they care a lot, but there's nothing they can do, and so they become apathetic. Or is they are they just naturally apathetic? So I think that people care a lot, um, but they don't know how to access it. They're not being spoken to in a way that feels authentic. Um, and they don't know what to do about it. And so, like, so you just can't care. And in the world when you have a lot of 
a lot to care about, yeah. right? There's a lot to do. We're all trying to get money. We're all trying to get a job. We're all trying to like find a view. It's cutting season, right? Like <laughs> we have a to-do list. That's Travis, right? <laughs> <laughs> I took my ass to boot camp today. Like you know, we're all trying to do stuff. Um, and and so it's hard to care about everything. And and I think that our generation is is very tapped in. Is is paying a lot of attention. When you look at Twitter, when you look at the fact that we have Black Lives Matter protests that are happening across the world, not just in every major city in the United States. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are, people care a lot. It's just about like how do they? There's not there aren't great platforms for them to continue the conversation um, in a meaningful way. And so, um, I don't think people trust political pundits anymore. I don't think. People watching news in the same way and so it's hard mm-hmm. to kind of measure the extent to which they care but I, I it's hard for me to look at what is happening in this country and think that young people don't care right we're leading it right absolutely very true um thank you for that very deep and thoughtful <laughs> um just really quickly what is the dkc i saw that you are the senior oh i quit that job Okay, shout out to you. We, we're proponents of quitting jobs yeah. and forging our own paths. Yeah. But uh, just very briefly, <laughs> what, what was that? And, and then in, in turn, what is your, um, I guess, next chess move? Um, so it's a strategic communications company. It's a PR firm. Mm-hmm. And um, a boss, a former boss, a mentor of mine, a guy by the name of Jeffrey, uh, works there. And I had worked for him several years ago, and so when he found out that I was leaving the White House, he um, very actively recruited me to come join their team. Uh, and you know, like I said, you know, the White House is really demanding, and I was really tired. So it was a great, I didn't do a job search at all. I just was like, here's the number, and I need, you know, I want to work in New York. And they're like, okay, great. Nice. And so I took it, but it was very much a transition <laughs> gig. I learned a lot in the very few months that I was there, in the seven months that I was there, but ultimately, once I kind of had rested up and had some clarity around what I want, how I want to spend my day, um, it became very obvious that someone else's business was not it, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so I wanted to, so I'm starting, I'm out on my own, I have six or seven clients that I do strategic consulting for, anything from politics to establishing nonprofits to media strategy. Um, I'm doing a little show with VH1 to talk about the election and the importance of voting. Um, and a few different things, which is what I wanted to be doing. You know, I wanted to kind of be in a space where I could be creative and work on my own schedule and on projects that I just thought were cool and interesting and with people I think are cool and interesting. And um, also, like, be in the crib if I want to, you know. <laughs> if I this don't be, feel like this is putting out pants at This is when we need a studio audience, because that's it. Shout out to you for making that happen. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Anybody with a dream of a brand that's going to come up, that's grinding, that's kind of that their goal, you know, need to be living that type of lifestyle where, you know, where you have your clients, where you, you're able to go out and work and you need to work, but you can do it from the crib. Mm-hmm. You can do it from the couch, so shout out to you for making that happen. Thank Absolutely. you. What's the name of your uh, new venture? I don't know yet. I right don't now. Know yet. <laughs> you can do that. We're calling young shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, so there's not that much 
clarity. Yeah. I just knew I didn't want to go to an office and make money for other people. Gotcha. Yeah, man, you make the road by walking, and that's the most yeah. important <laughs> part of it. Um, well, you're fresh in New York right now, so, I January. so how do you uh, you like it so far? I love New York. I've always loved New York. Um, nice. I've long felt that like I'd get off the train or the bus back when I would, was willing to take the bus. Um, <laughs> And, like, extra lights would turn on, you know? I just had more energy, and I was more creative and more focused. And so I've, I've long wanted to be in New York. My sister, my older sister, is a visual artist and business owner here. Uh, and she's been here since she graduated from school. So she's been here for 15 years. And so I was always here visiting. I was always kind of hanging around. And, and okay. she now, her and her husband, have a one-year-old son. Yeah, so like that's kind of the next generation of our family, and so I wanted to see my nephew every day. Like he was at my house yesterday for four hours, and we were just hanging out, and like I was doing my little work, and like we were, hang you know, spending time with family, and that was really important to me. And so, that's incredible. Yeah, to be able to be here and to have a sense of family is really, it's you know, my sister is the most familiar person to me in the world. You know, she and I shared a bedroom until I was like six or seven years old. So, um, it's a lot of fist fights. Nah, she used to be. I mean, she, I tower over her. I am <laughs> so much bigger than her, and yet she's always been able to whip my ass. She's scrappy. That's yeah. it. You know, <laughs> yeah. Like that too. Always. Yeah. Um, I don't know how that works, but <laughs> the introducing, you know, the older sibling intimidation factor. Like to this day, she could just be like, Carrie, do this, and be like, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so being around family, being, you know, it brings a lot of steadiness to an otherwise really, you know, I accomplished my dream at 30, I don't have my next one yet, I moved to a new city, I quit my job, <laughs> I am making new friends, I'm like in this period of my life that is characterized more by its instability and change than any other period of my life that I've ever had. And yet, I have something that is so familiar and so grounding and so foundational dope. to who dope. I am as dope, a human dope, dope. being. And she lives five minutes away. That's beautiful. So, yeah. That's, see, that's what you mean. Like, because when I was sitting there moving to LA, I mean, I liked LA, but I didn't have that. I didn't have, I, I have more, more, my best friends about there, but still, I didn't have that. You know what I mean? So, that's cool that you're here and you can just, when you need to have that home, or, you know, mm -hmm. that love, you can move back to your sister. That's cool. That's really exciting. Um, what can we expect from you, I guess, in the next couple of months, and where can we find you on the social? Um, so the next couple of months is mainly about the election, right? Like sure. 60, 50 odd days away, depending on when you hear this. <laughs> and um, so I'm going to be working on a bunch of different stuff related to that. Um, I have my little show on VH1 and VH1.com. That's big up. What is, what is it called? Um, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we're working that out tomorrow. Yeah, um, and um, I'm also filming with um, a, a pack called Save the Day uh, that I consult for, filming PSAs with a bunch of different celebrities and musicians and athletes um, to get them to encourage people. We shot Jesse Williams last week, which is very nice. exciting. Um, and some other high-level talent. So. Um, Working a little bit with MTV on National Voter Registration Day, which is uh, September 27th. And that's, you know, like the figuring out how we get our people to 
register and to vote is um, the name of the game for me the, for the next little bit, right? And not just about president presidential campaigns, but like if you if you're pissed when you see a prosecutor let a cop off or decline to bring mm-hmm. charges, guess what? Those dudes are on the ballot. Mm-hmm. And ninety five percent of prosecutors in this country are white men, mm-hmm. including in black cities. Mm-hmm. So, like though everything we do matters. Yes, be in the streets protesting. Yes, boycott corporations that don't give a shit about our community. I don't know if I'm allowed yeah, to swear on this, but like, that. Um, but yes, vote too, right? Like <laughs> all of it matters. You can't. You shouldn't just do one. You should do whatever. You should engage in activism whatever way makes sense for you and feels right for you. But voting should be part of it. It's not difficult. It takes like two minutes. You federally can be off work if you're working. Within two hours of the polls opening or closing, your boss has to give you two hours to go vote. Like it is federal law that you can be, and you can be paid for it. Um, like it, there is absolutely no reason to not vote, and it matters, and it really is about our freedom and the extent to which we will continue to be or lessen the degree to which we are um, subjugated to oppression in this country. Right. Sure. So. Indeed, locally, like. You just mentioned that people don't realize how important that is. Voting lo- locally is super duper important. But even before, I want to ask the last question before you leave. Um, being in front of the camera, is that new to you? Is this new to you? Yes, it's awful. It's so <laughs> bad. I wanted to ask that because you, you look, I mean, obviously you look great on it and you're doing a good job. But Thank you. Um, how's that transition? Because that's something you're going to be doing. We can expect to see you and you know, these networks and whatnot. I mean, so I've been joking, I was joking with the VH1 crew because I did <clears throat> some on-camera work for the very first time at the Republican and Democrat National Convention- Conventions in July of this year. I was joking that they need to bring a cot with them so I can nap afterwards because <laughs> I, I find it so draining. Really? Like, it's, I'm an introvert. I'm an absolute introvert. Like, being around lots of people is very draining and, and stressful for me. I get anxious. Um, and I find people really interesting. I love people. I'm like, this is dope, right? Sitting with two dudes and, like, have, chopping it up is great. Put me in a group of 500 people, and I'm just like, oh, God. And I feel like passing out, and I immediately want to go home. Um, and being on the camera sort of mimics that effect for me. It, it brings me that kind of like stress and like being on in that way is really tiring and but at the same time I and this goes to our point to the point I was making earlier I just don't think that there are many or enough voices who are articulating the importance of politics in a way that is meaningful and resonates and honest with people you know resonates with people and is honest um for our generation, for people that I care about. And so I, you know, we all have to make the choice that somebody's got to do it. And if I'm the only person around, then I guess I'll do it today. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But like, I have no dreams of like television stardom or anything. I just, um, there was just no one else there really. And, And honestly, they had hired talent to do it, and it, we just kind of got in the weeds a little bit, and I was just a producer, like I was a consulting producer, I was never supposed to be on camera for the VH1 specials, and it just, I can talk about the issues better than the people that they hired, and so I just wound up doing it in order to 
make sure that we were factually correct. Right. And then ended up that it turned out pretty well. So we were going to keep doing it. But it was not, like, I mean, it was not something that I was aspiring to, per se. But it's been really interesting. You know what? You know, in the same way that I'm having all this, like, all this change and newness and moving to New York and so on. It's like, it's my year of yes. So like, if I hate it, I can always stop doing it. But if I love it, great. You know, it was an opportunity that I just felt I should take. Um, and so we'll see how it works out. Definitely. Yes. Thank you so much for coming to us. Oh, did you want to see my socials? Oh yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. Okay. So my, uh, my Instagram is at Carrie Twig, C-A-R-R-I-T-W-I-G-G, and my Twitter is at Carrie Belinda. And I'm mainly just a retweeter. Like, I just don't have pithy enough things to say. <laughs> Every time I go to tweet something, I just sort of freeze. I'm like, ah, that sounds dumb. Nah, you got it. <laughs> 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 like, that doesn't seem necessary, you know? Uh, so my only original tweets are, like, when I'm really excited about a burrito or something. But, yeah, that's it. All right, good Thank to have you. you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, hopefully you come back one of these days when you blow up. About to blow up. Thank you so much for having me. This is awesome. Absolutely, definitely. All right, everybody. That was another episode of Driven Minds. Uh, stay driven. Peace.